um, Mark chapter 6, I'm sorry. Mark chapter 6, we left at verse 44 the last time we uh, went through Mark. Today we're continuing in verse 45 up until verse 56. Uh, the last verse of chapter 6. And I want to show you um, two portraits here. Two portraits. Mark chapter 4. Let us read from verse 45 up until verse 56. I read from the ESV. Follow me as I read God's word. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethesda, Bethsaida, uh, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea, he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moved uh, to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, their people immediately recognized them and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And whenever he came, wherever he came, in villages, cities, and, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is God's word. Let us pray. Indeed, Lord, it is your word, and you speak through it. Give us hearts to hear, minds to understand, wheels to uh, submit. Help us to honor you as we ought to as we hear your word. Declare your word even through me. In Jesus' blessed name we pray this. Amen. Now we find, um, remember, Jesus had fed the, the multitudes, and it had been a busy day for Jesus and his disciples. They had ministered to the crowds all day long. Jesus had taught them the word of God, and, and when late afternoon came, he manifested his power and glory by feeding about 15,000 to 20,000 people with five pieces of bread and two sardines. Now evening is approaching fast and Jesus sends his men away by uh, boat to the other side of the lake. There are a couple of reasons Jesus sent his men away at this time. The, the, the first had to do with the crowds Jesus just fed. In John chapter 6 verse 15, we are told that the people were so excited about the miracle 
of the bread and the fish that they tried to take Jesus by force and make him their king. Jesus knew the time had not come for that. So he sent his men away to remove them from that kind of thinking. Right, Jesus did not want them to get caught up in the frenzy over the miracles. But By the way, the, the, the people wanted to make Jesus king because he gave them bread. And not because he was the Messiah. No, they did not recognize that he was the Messiah. But they wanted bread, a lifetime supply of bread. How about that? Another reason Jesus sent the disciples away was so that he could spend time alone with his father. Jesus sensed a change in the direction of his ministry. He knew that the miracles and his popularity with the people would bring him into direct conflict with the religious leaders. We, we know, right? He will be encountering the, the Sadducees. He will be encountering the, 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 the Pharisees. And they will encounter him with animosity. As he prepares for that, he spends time with the Father. He knew that intense persecution and eventually death were just around the corner. He needed to seek his Father in prayer. What a lesson for us today, isn't it? We, we should be people of prayer, seeking the Lord's help at every turn in the road of life. A third reason for the disciples being sent away had to do with the disciples themselves. After they had seen Jesus do uh, all that Jesus had done, they, they, they were still filled with doubts and unbelief. Jesus uses the storm to reveal his deity, the fact that he is God, and, and reveal his power to his disciples one more time. When this miracle is preached, the emphasis is always placed on the storms of life. We, we preach his love to emphasize the truth that Jesus helps the hurting. Those kinds of messages are well received because we live in a world of hurting people. Over 200 years ago, a preacher named Philip Brooks said this. He says, if you preach to hurting people, you will never lack for a congregation. You will never lack for a congregation. How true, is, how true that is. While that is possible, and it is a possible application of this passage, it is not the only passage, um, the only application that should be suggested, nor is it the primary application. I want to approach this passage a new way today. I want to take these verses and show you two applications that can be found here. I want to preach on the portraits in the storm. Uh, these two portraits that we're going to see, there's a word here for, for, for the brokenhearted. And there's a word here for people who have allowed themselves to be blinded to the power and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me share these portraits with you today. First of all, we see a portrait of the burdened. A portrait of the burdened. Those who are burdened. There's a great word of comfort here for those going through one of the storms of life. In this life, you either are in one of three places, right? And I've spoken about this before. You are either in a storm, coming out of a storm, 
or headed into a storm. There are physical storms, mental storms, emotional storms, and spiritual storms. There are storms in homes, in marriages, at work, and at church. There are storms that rage publicly, and there are storms that manifest themselves in the secret places of the heart. Storms are part of human existence, aren't they? Storms touch every part of our lives. We find ourselves in stormy situations from time to time. These verses offer some help and hope for those passing through the stormy uh, life, a stormy part of life. When you look at verse 45, and we see how Jesus sent the disciples into the boat. He we are told that Jesus made, he, he made them. His men to, he, he made his men to get into the boat and cross the sea. Uh, that, that word should not, uh, we, we should not just read it and pass, right? The, the, the word made means to drive or to force. He compelled them to get into the boat. They did not want to go, and Jesus literally pushed them into the boat and made them leave. Did he not know a storm was coming? Of course he did. In fact, I suspect that he might have planned it just for this occasion. Sounds strange, doesn't it? What you and I need to remember today as we face our own stormy times is the truth that God stands behind all the storms of our lives. We like asking the question, where is God when I'm in this situation? Where is God when I'm facing this difficult time of my life? God is there right with you in this storm. Verse 7 of Psalm 45 says, and you you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. God continues to be with us in the storm. Psalm 37, verse 23, tells us, The steps of a man are established by the Lord, when he delights in his way. When we find ourselves in those conditions, in those situations, remember the steps of the Lord are ordered by, that the steps of a man are ordered by the Lord. Job was in a situation that he was in, not because he, you know, got unlucky in life. It was God who put him in that situation. If we are in a storm, it is because the Lord has sent us into it. And some people have problems with that truth, but it actually gives us great comfort. It should give us great comfort. If just one area of our lives is outside his control today, then we are in serious trouble. If Satan, the world, or, or this flesh is able to disrupt my life, apart from the permission of God, then no area of life is safe. However, if God, if God is in control, and he is, 
that no area of life is outside his control. Whatever he brings into your life or mine will always work out for the good, for our good, and for his glory. Isn't that what Romans chapter 8, 28 tells us? For we know that he works all things for, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. We want to take that passage and, and when things, are, when it seems like life is a bed of roses that we quote that passage, right? It is working out for my good. You see, even when you are in a time of difficulty, in a stormy season, that stormy season is working out for your good and for his glory. I think that's when you should say amen. Now, in verse 46 to verse 48, we see how he saw them. And I want you to just pay attention to some of these words I'm using. He saw them. That they were on the sea in the middle of a dark stormy night. Jesus was, was kilometers away on a mountain praying to his father. Yet the Bible tells us that he saw them. The verse showcases two great truths. That we need to that need to be mentioned about the Lord's care for His people. First of all, we see His interest. His interest, even though He was occupied with matters of eternity, still He was interested in His man and their problems. He, he saw them toiling. He saw uh, uh, them uh, uh, toiling in the storm. The, the word literally refers to torture. These men were in unbelievable stress and they labored against the sea. Even the wind was contrary. The, the, the word means in the face. They were fighting for their very lives on the sea and Jesus saw it all. Don't lose me now. Think about that word. He saw them. He, he knew what they faced. He, he cared for them and for their safety. The saints... Have, have the same assurance when we go through the storms of our lives. We, we have a Savior who is interested in our condition and in what we face in life. We do not have a God who is indifferent to the things that we experience. He knows and he sees. There's a song that we used to sing. We used to love singing at Sunday school. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. He knows, he hears, he is near. Not only do we see his interest, but we see his intercession. We see his intercession. Jesus was in that mountain, but he was not wasting <laughs> time. He was not wasting his time. He was in prayer. Surely he was praying about the direction of his ministry, but I also am convinced that he was praying for the men struggling in the storm on the sea below. Brothers and sisters, you have not been abandoned in the storms of your life. The Lord himself is praying for you at the throne of grace. 
John chapter 17, we see the Lord, and, and, and theologians call this section of the Bible the, the high priestly prayer. Jesus assumes the role as a high priest, and he prays for us. Imagine. One thing that really, sh I don't want to say shock, but really leaves me awestruck every time I read John chapter 17 is the fact that he was not just praying for his disciples at that time alone, but he also prays, praying for those who will be reached with the gospel. Saint, brother and sister, Jesus Christ prays personally for you. He prays for you as if you were the only one in existence. He prays for you. We have a high priest who prays for us. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 tells us, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near uh, 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 to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them do you hear that brothers and sisters Jesus Christ lives to make intercession for you verse 40, 48 to 40, 51 now we see how he saved them Jesus didn't just send these men out there to die in their storm. And, and he didn't just watch from a safe distance while they struggled. Jesus took on an active part in their rescue. Notice how the Lord, is, uh, the Lord Jesus ministered to these men on that stormy sea. In verse 48, we see his presence. That they were not left to struggle alone. The Lord himself came to them using the very waves they feared as his vehicle. He has promised us that we can count on his presence as well. Isn't that one of the, the, the very, uh, uh, you know, I think, comforting promises of our Lord? And the fact that he says, I will not leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews chapter uh, 13, verse 5. The, the fact that he says to us, I'm with you always to the very end of the ages, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus continues to be with us at every point of our lives. He does not leave us. It's a promise that we can bank on. It's a promise that we can hold dear in our hearts. Uh, uh, Isaiah 41, verse 10, he says, Fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. These promises, brothers and sisters, Jesus was not just saying, God was not just saying these promises just to pass time. He says these promises and we can bank on them because he's a faithful God. Isn't he faithful? He is faithful. And when he says something, you better bank on it. He will be with us to strengthen us and sustain us through all the storms of life. We will never weather a storm alone. Not only do we see his presence when he intervenes, we see his peace. We see this in verse 49 to verse 50. 
We see his peace. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on water, they thought they were seeing a ghost. I, I, I think I'm seeing a ghost too. They were terrified and, and cried out. That, that, that phrase literally means to scream. They were screaming. On Twitter, when someone says something, they say, They were screaming. They, they screamed out loud because they, they were sure they, they were seeing a ghost walking on water. The, the, the phrase meant to pass uh, by them. Jesus Christ, as he was walking, he actually passed by them. It means that Jesus walked out to where they were and began to walk parallel to their boat. Just imagine that. These fellows thought they were dead men. Jesus senses their distress and immediately speaks comfort to them. He identifies himself by saying, it is I. The, the, the word I in the Greek is, is emphatic. It is actually the, 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 the word ego eimi, I am that I am. It is the same thing that he says when he says, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It, it is his way of saying, man, the great I am has just arrived on the scene. When he says I, he intimately identifies himself with Yahweh in the Old Testament. The, 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 the one who doesn't break his covenant. He doesn't break his promises. He is the one who is self-existent, who is not caused to exist, but everything is caused by him to exist. Then he commands them, saying, stop being afraid and never fear again. If, if at this moment they could have grasped who it was who, uh, that was with them, they would have known that there was no reason to be afraid. See, it isn't true that, uh, that, that the storms of life will terrify us, right? They will terrify us. Isn't it true that often the Lord will come to us walking on the very waves of fear, walking on the very things that we, we fear and we, we don't even recognize him? Isn't it true that when we do acknowledge his presence, he's able to speak peace to our souls? I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I thank God for the times he has whispered sweet peace to me in the midst of a storm in my life. If, if we can just learn to recognize his presence, even while we are in a storm, we can have peace that surpasses all understanding. Not only do we see his peace, we see his presence, his peace, as he, he, he intervenes, but we see his power as well in verse 51. Jesus walks up to the boat and the waves and, and, and gets in. He gets inside the boat. When he does, it's strange when you read this, this passage, the waves instantly cease. Instantly. 
John tells us in his gospel that when Jesus got into the boat immediately, it arrived on the other side of the lake. In John chapter 6, verse 21. What a miracle. One moment they are in the midst of a raging sea. The next moment they are on a calm sea at their destination. And that is power, isn't it? It is the power of our Lord. If you're in a stormy, in a stormy situation in, in your life today, you, you need to know that the Lord can calm the winds and the waves. He can steal your storm. He has the power to do just that. On, on the other hand, he might choose to do in you what he did in Paul. You see, brothers and sisters, I don't want to give you half-truths. I want to lay it all before you today. Sometimes he will choose to do what he, he did to Paul in your life. He might choose to leave you in the storm and calm the fear in your heart. Does that make sense? Leave you in the storm, calm the fear in your heart. Remember when Paul had this thorn in the flesh in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he prays the first time. I mean, pr pr Paul, we, we, we can actually uh, 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 comfortably, you know, give the title of prayer warrior to Paul. <laughs> right? He prays the first time. He prays the second time. No answer. No answer. He prays the third time. No answer. And this is the answer that the Lord gives, actually. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Mighty God. Our immediate default when we find ourselves in a painful condition is to want to get out. And, and that is normal. That is a, a human norm, isn't it? We, we have this, this uh, what do you call it? A, 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 a reaction. I, I forgot what they call it, but it's like the, that thing when the doctors hit you here and reflex, right? We have a default reflex to want to get out immediately out of the pain. But in his wisdom, in his love, in his power, in his sovereignty, God will choose to leave you in that storm in order to work in your heart. And he will deal not with the storm, but with you personally. Brothers and sisters, we should not be people that think that when you become a Christian, it's going to be a bed of roses. Yes, it's going to be a bed of roses, but not petals. Even thorns are there. Right? <laughs> Even thorns are there. Either way, the storm ceases to matter when he demonstrates his power in your life. He's able, isn't he? Ephesians chapter 3 verse uh, 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 20 tells us that much. He is able to do exceedingly above all that we think or, or, or ask. Uh, by the power that works in us. His power that works in us. He's able. Now we don't only see a portrait of the burdened. We also see a portrait of the blind, lastly. Portrait of the blind. A portrait of the blind. This second portrait is what the, this miracle is really about. Jesus sent his men into the storm to give them 
a lesson in faith. He sent them out there so that they, they might come to understand who he really was. In a lot of ways, the disciples were blind to the power and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the same is true among those who profess to know him today. There are a lot of people who claim to be saved and, and love the Lord, but they don't really understand who he is and what he is all about. These verses have something to teach the blind as well. In verse 45 to verse 51, we see teachings of faith. Jesus Christ uses this you know, situation to teach his disciples faith. There they are, out on the storm, terrified and fearing for their lives. All of a sudden, the Lord Jesus Christ shows up and demonstrates his great power over nature. He, he was not going up and down on the waves. He was not being tossed about by the raging winds. He was walking out to, the, to that boat just as calmly and as surely as he had been walking on a sidewalk. Then when he set a foot in their boat, the waves instantly ceased their raging. These men had all the evidence they needed to believe that Jesus is who he claims to be. Yet even 11 of them did not fully understand who Jesus was until he had died on the cross and rose again from the dead. One of their number, Judas, never did get it. He, he died lost in his sins. Even without this miracle, his men should have known who Jesus was. Consider what they have already seen. They have seen him cast out demons in, uh, in Mark chapter 1 uh, and chapter 5. They had seen him heal all manner of uh, diseases in Mark chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 5, chapter 6 as well. They had seen him calm a storm. So this is not the first storm that they find themselves in. In chapter 4, Jesus tells the storm to be still, and it becomes still. They had seen him raise a girl from the dead in Mark chapter 5. They had seen him use them in amazing ways in Mark chapter 6. They had seen him feed thousands with an extremely small amount of food. Jesus had given these men an extensive, intensive lesson in his power and ability, but they never quite got it. In spite of all that they had seen him do, they still doubted his power and, and still doubted his ability to handle the next situation. Now, let's not be too hard on these guys. We are just as bad as they were. After all, haven't we seen the Lord move in our lives in great power? If you were saved, you have been a partaker of the greatest miracle God can accomplish. If he has saved your soul and changed your life, it stands to reason that he can do anything. Beyond that, he hasn't answered. Hasn't he answered your prayers? Hasn't he moved mountains for you? Hasn't he blessed you beyond measure? Hasn't he proven his power time and time again? Then why do we see him 
as if he can't do anything and we lose trust in him the next minute we get in trial we why do we seem to have so much trouble just following him wherever he leads we truly are people of little faith guess what he's going to keep sending us to school just like he did he did this man until we get it he's going to keep on training us to trust him by faith until we learn that he is able you see the Holy Spirit is faithful in doing his work in his people and he will not leave his work in his people unfinished the, the, the Bible tells us that he who began a good work in you would complete that good work he, he, he doesn't leave his work in us unfinished he, he will continue sanctifying us he will continue strengthening us. He will continue building our faith. He will continue using trials to strengthen our faith, to test our faith, to prepare us for glory. The problem with Christianity today is that people have imbibed, have, have you know, drunk, are drunk on the alcohol of the prosperity gospel preaching. They are drunk and they cannot think straight. That whenever a situation comes, instead of trusting in God, they see the devil. They see the devil in everything. It is Satan, right? The devil is a liar. Yes, he's a liar. But even that gospel, prosperity gospel, is lying to you as well. Jesus did, did it with his disciples. He worked in them. He schooled them. God did the same thing with Israel. Remember all the trials they faced, the, the Red Sea the, uh, in Egypt, a bitter a waters of Mara, hunger, thirst, enemies, and so on. God was working in them. He will do the same with his church, with his people. He's determined to bring us to a place of total trust, dependence, and obedience. He's determined to make us into the image of his son. That is his goal. You see, the, the, the image of God is still in man, even man who do not know God. But it is marred. It, it, it is broken. In Christ, when we come to him, we are being reshaped into the image of his son. The longer it takes us to learn this, this truth, the more storms we will have to endure. Now, now, now look at these teachings of faith, but there's a transgression of faith as well. In verse 51, it tells us that the disciples saw the miracle on the sea and they were astounded. The, the, the word means to marvel. It is the idea of leaving one with their mouth wide open in surprise. They were picking up their jaws off of the floor. They, they, they could not believe their eyes when they saw Jesus do what he did, but should they have been surprised? At this point of their life, should they have been surprised? Of course not. Verse 52 tells us that they, they couldn't believe it because they didn't want to believe it. They, they, they watched as the loaves and the fishes were literally multiplied in the, hands, in the master's hands. 
They, they saw it with their very eyes. They were participating, taking the baskets of, of bread to the people. They had watched them take lunch that was enough for a small child and use it to feed thousands. At that point, they should have been able to trust them for anything. But they hardened their hearts. In other words, what they saw Jesus do with the loaves and fishes meant nothing when they faced the next trial. We are no better than they were. How many of us have seen him do the impossible time and again, yet we still fail to trust him to be able to take him, uh, to, to take him um, in trust wherever he wants to lead us? We, 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 we face difficult situations and God intervenes and, and takes us out of those and strengthens us and, and it's as if now you are prepared for the next one and you get into the next one you still not trusting him you see as long as God stays within the box we have constructed him we are fine but when he begins to work in ways we have never seen him work before we close our hearts to him and what he wants us to do, what he wants to do in us and through us. As a result of our small view of God, we miss out on the big things the Lord wants us to do, wants to do in our lives and in our church. I love this idea of a big God theology. That even when we face things that are beyond our control, and our abilities. When we have a big God theology, not, not a village God, not a God who's, who's limited by territories, a, a, a God who is big, beyond our imagination, bigger than anything, that we can look at a situation that we are terrified of, and when we look at God, we're like, oh, okay, all right, I don't have to fear anything. Because God is who he says he is, isn't he? Our lack of faith can actually limit God's power to work in our midst. His power is not diminished in the list. That's what I'm saying. But he often won't manifest that power in the midst of people who refuse to trust him by faith. We can have a big God who moves in big ways, but we have a little, or, or, or we can have a little God who really shows up or never shows up, but we cannot have both, right? We cannot have a big God and a little God. We, we need to decide what we want around here. We need to decide who our God is, the Central Baptist Church. We need to decide individually who our God is. Now in verse 53 to verse 56, we see now a testimony of faith. It's really amazing how again brothers and sisters when you read the gospels and you see Jesus performing a miracle it is not just about the miracle but Jesus Christ did not come to be a miracle worker he came as the Messiah when you see a miracle it is not about the miracle keep reading now, now we see in verse 53 to verse 56 as soon as they reach the shore Jesus once again tries to remove all doubts from their minds from the minds of these men as they watch the local people bring they are sick ones. These people have more faith than the disciples. They believe that if they can just touch the fringe of his garments, they will be healed. 
Many touch him and they are instantly healed. The, the, the Lord has used the disciples to heal before. In, in chapter 6, verse 12 to 13. And here, he does it himself. They are suffering from hard hearts and a lack of faith. The Lord will accomplish his work either with us or without us. Jesus didn't, send, didn't need his disciples. He chose to work through them. Right? It seems to me that it would be easier if he had just done it by himself. Right? But he, he doesn't. He doesn't do it by himself. He chooses to work through us, through work, weak vessels. Isn't that a blessing, brothers and sisters, to be used by God? When we are walking with him by faith, as we should be, he's able to use us in a great way. When we are not walking in faith, he's not able to use us as he would like to. If he can't use us, then he will find others he can use. Let's determine that we will be a people that he can use for his glory. You see, we can never position ourselves in such a way that we are indispensable in the kingdom of God. We can never position ourselves in such a way that we are indispensable in the kingdom of God. God will find someone else to use. Now the question is, as I conclude, are you burdened today? The Lord knows and he cares. He knows your name. He sees this tear that falls. He hears you when you call. Bring your storm to him and let him give you the peace you seek. Also be mindful that sometimes he might not remove the storm. Trust him to strengthen you and to give you courage and faith in the midst of the storm. Are you blind to his person? his power, and his potential? Have you closed your heart and mind to what the Lord wants to do in your life and in this church? Has he touched you? Has he touched a sore with, with you today, a sore spot in your heart? If he has spoken to you, come to him and let him have his way in your life. Are you in Christ or are you not saved? You don't know what is happening in your life, whether you've committed your life to him. Come to him. He will rescue you. He will bring you to himself. He will give you eternal life. He's able. He's able. There's nothing that is too hard for him. There's no sin that is too great for him forgive. That is too dark for him to wash. That is too uh, big for him to remove. Come to him. Give your life to him. He's always standing with his arms wide open to embrace everyone who comes to him. Amen.
Our dear Lord, indeed, you are God. We find ourselves oftentimes like that man who says, I believe, help my unbelief. In the midst of storms, we fail to remember what you have done in our lives before. It seems that how you've worked in our lives in the past matters not anymore. Give us hearts that are sensitive to your working in our lives. For those, Father, who are going through storms of life at the moment, we pray that you may grant them comfort. You may deliver them if it is your will, and if it is your will to teach them through such storms, oh God, we pray that they will be open to your lessons. For those who are coming out of the storm, we pray that they will trust and walk by faith. May you glorify your name in our midst, oh God. We pray for Central Baptist Church. Continue to build us. May your word always be central in our lives. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.